Cyber Feminist Urbanism, a conversation with Maya Lee Focht on hacking the corporate computation design of cities. Hi everyone, this is episode two of the podcast Digital Urbanism from the Grassroots. We are very excited about the topic today and our guest, Maya Lee Focht. But before I further introduce Maya Lee, I should say that this episode is being dedicated to all Iranian women and their women life freedom movements that is confronting the Islamic Republic regime for its oppression, violence, and its systematic attempts to disidentify the bodies from gender, race, and sexuality. Zan Zendegi Azadi. Talking about Zan, Maya Lee is a feminist and researcher at a research collective named Aktoren for Urbanen Ungehorsam, Actors for Urban Disobedience. She's an urban planner and PhD candidate at Center for Digital Culture at Lofana University, Lüneburg. She's part of a research project on automating um, the logistical city, space, algorithms, and speculations. She wrote a jaw-dropping master thesis here at Hafenstein University Hamburg on hack feminism, in which she conceptualizes the idea of cyber feminist city, and she talks about city creating practices between artificial intelligence, algorithms, and as asphalt. Okay, Maya very, very welcome to this episode of um, digital urbanism from the grassroots. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, uh, we would love to hear about you, um, your work, and um, I think the first things came to my mind is what is the story behind coming to the idea of cyber feminist city? Yeah, that's a very good question uh, that still kind of um, haunts me sometimes still, um, because it came out of a work with the Akturen for Urban Ungehorsam, which we uh, did in the framework of our master um, studies. Um, and we got a little bit into like techno-capitalism, thinking about platform cities. Um, and we did some research on um, the tech company Lieferando, which is also like a food delivery service. Um, and we talked to writers and uh, went further into like their resistive practices against how the algorithm manages their work life um, and also their ways through the city. Um, and we continued that work uh, over the past years and it just made me think of what are more resistive practices against this um, kind of increasing agenda that we see within cities that get smarter, that get more computational, um, that um, political agendas want to be more digitalized in various ways of everyday life. Um, and just thinking through that um, was kind of dystopic in a way. Um, it, it was sort of like a doom subject mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, and there was a sort of hopelessness also because uh, we're talking about this big tech companies and the privatization of public spaces, especially, and also increased through, through the pandemic where digital uh, spheres got so much more important. And um, that just made me think, okay, what are resistive practices that really 
uh, deal with the smartification of cities from like a bottom-up perspective or like you say like a grassroots urbanism perspective mm -hmm. um, and what are those spaces that are more independently thinking about alternative infrastructures about infrastructures of care about um, sustainable digitality um, about uh, like a digital public space maybe even um, and I came across uh, these collectives, these hack feminist collectives, as I call them, um, that are in various cities, usually located in city or urban spaces, um, and are um, a gathering of various group sizes, um, mostly only for Flinta, which is like a German acronym for um, uh, women, inter agender. Um, trans um, and now I lost the context. Okay, let me start again. Flinta. Yeah. Um, Flinta, which is a German acronym for women, inter, agender, trans, and non binary identifying humans. Okay. Yeah, I got it. Um, and they were trying to make these spaces both accessible for a broader public, but also exclusive to these gender identities because they realized that technologies today and uh, computation itself is very, very focused on binary narratives and binary computational mechanisms. Mm. Um, and they just wanted to have create sort of braver spaces as they call them, not safer space, but braver space as in like trying to create an environment that is open to learning tech together um, within these specific um, contexts and narratives, um, make hardware, especially like tech knowledge more accessible to marginalized perspectives um, and yeah, just tinker together, have a sort of like freedom of an in-between space to create stuff, to, to um, try out with uh, try out specific things with technology, um, think through technology together, also from a very theoretical perspective, and translate that into like the city life, but also the digital life, and just kind of like intertwine both of these spheres. Hmm. Very interesting, to be honest. Um, and then, um, so you got introduced with these collectives and you started doing ethnography work with them. Uh, did yes. you also got yourself a member there? And for example, which, did you also work in any collective in Hamburg? Because I just saw some of your works. It was one in Köln, mm -hmm. one in Berlin, mm -hmm. and? Um, I also talked to uh, Miss Balthasar's laboratory in Vienna. Okay, yeah. And the Hexen, which is like a German-speaking broader collective uh, that does not have a specific location, but they have various locations in urban space. And I did talk to uh, two persons from the Hamburg Collective as well, which is like where I was based. Um, the problem was, though, that during that time, we were facing lockdowns um, yeah. and very, very uh, strict and... I mean, that was that totally makes sense that they were strict uh, at that time. Uh, contact restrictions, mm -hmm. um, so the spaces were all closed. Um, all of 
who I talked to um, were at home. Um, and I kind of conducted that research as an ethnography behind the screen. Mm. So um, that meant talking to the members of these collectives intensively. Um, I did qualitative interviews, um, but I was also trying to sort of, because we were talking about spaces very specifically and uh, how technology influences spaces, I was trying to create a digital space <laughs> within the online. Um, so we didn't use Zoom, uh, we used Jitsi, which is like an open source alternative to kind of like translate what they're for, you know, they're standing for open source technologies, they're standing for uh, collectively um, created infrastructures, tech infrastructures. So I tried to pick up on this ideal and tried to create also like digital spaces where we could meet and I invited them for like a cyber coffee. Uh, in the end, I recreated the whole um, uh, space of one of the collectives, uh, the tree shuttle in Berlin, um, in a digital space to kind of make people who want to understand these spaces experience that space in the virtual as well. So I was really playing with the idea of intertwining these both spheres, especially when talking about spaces. Mm -hmm. And I'm totally aware that um, talking about spaces is very different from experiencing those spaces. And I think there are a lot of uh, voids within that perspective. I think there, um, it's, as I said, it's different to experience them. But still, it was very interesting to have that sort of distance and the members also being distanced from these spaces forcefully through the pandemic, made them reflect more on the spaces and made them also name specific things that they might not have named while in the spaces. Um, so that was an interesting point of view at that time to uh, be able to collectively reflect on what these spaces mean, how specific things are spatialized, um, also how infrastructures are spatial spatialized. So that was, um, yeah, very, cool to just be able to try it out and experience that and with the with the yeah tools that i had during the pandemic to really also explore the virtual with uh, derives which are like um observatory uh, walks through the digital so i like not strolling but scrolling <laughs> through yeah. the timeline and the feeds and everything um, trying to observe uh, various narratives and discussions uh, around the topic and everything. Um, and yeah, experimenting a little bit with digital ethnography, especially from like an urban and very spatial perspective uh, within that virtual realm. But uh, in, uh, in your work I read, for example, you also explain and describe the table. Mm -hmm. From the top, you're like, what you're going to see? Were you there or uh, that was the description of the members? Yes, that was the description of my interview okay. partner. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, the whole, yeah, the, the um, how you walk from that table to another table in your paper. It was really interesting to read. I could easily imagine, you know, <laughs> I could help me to uh, imagine the whole space. Um, and talking about the space, um, the, you know, th this is a very um, hot topic at the moment when we come to digital urbanism, mm -hmm. what urban space is. Um, we all know that there is uh, the, the world the, or the, the sphere between digital and analog or um, 
yeah, the, the, these two worlds are quite fuzzy. Mm-hmm. It got more and more fuzzy. And, uh, um, and you um, talked about space in between uh, or also interspace. Um, we have um, works of Graham, for example, that talk about code and space. Mm-hmm. Um, empirically, I just I want to know in practice, how did you see they are... Um, they're practicing urban space. Because in one point, um, as long as in one space you can uh, play out, you can experience life, and you can uh, find your peers and unite with your allies, uh, you are practicing urban space. That could be digital or non-digital. But I want to know how these practices, for example, saw urban space, how they conceptualize urban space, how they practice urban space? Yeah, that's a very good question. Thank you so much. Um, Especially because the cyber feminist collectives or the hack feminist collectives that I approached did have a similar question, like what can we contribute to urban space because, or to urban studies, not urban space. They do contribute a lot to urban space already. Um, but they were kind of, um, irritated by my question because they're like, you're an urban scholar, like what, how can we talk about it together? Um, and that was definitely a a challenge and also like an analytical tool that I put on after I was like, I think there are very important urban actors that we have to take into consideration while trying to fight for a right to the digital city as like Sean Graham, uh, for example, um, uh, declarized. And, um, thus I was at first uh, trying to look at their very specific urban contexts. As I said, I couldn't be there at the time. Um, So it was all very much based on what they told me and how we could kind of talk about it. But it it turned out that their spaces were, as an infrastructure, very important because uh, the the materialized spaces, the spaces where they came together, where they're, um, tinkered with with hardware, where they um, started conversations about overcoming sexism, racism, classism, um, ableism, um, and all that stuff. It was so important to be in the room together and to mm-hmm. also man- maintain spaces together. If yeah. it's like you know, kind of doing the dishes, one of my interview partners said, or trying to um, just. Um, share responsibilities for these spaces and trying to uphold these spaces. But within the urban context, I noticed that they were all sort of spaces that I would localize in an in-between. Um, they were very, very well-curated spaces within, but from the outside, they were, for example, hard to reach Um as with the collective in Cologne, they had trouble finding a space in the city center. So they had to move to a more marginalized uh, space and also politically marginalized neighborhood. Um, and you literally walk into like a house back end and then see the door only if you walk into the, the back end. And the same was with the, the collective in Berlin with the, the tree shuttle, as they call it, Baumschiff, which is a former space. They're not in there anymore. But it was like in the, on the back end of a Kreuzberg house, which is 
a very um, central location, which is good, but still you had to literally climb up a ladder to get into the space. Oh. So those were just um, examples. And also the space in Vienna, they were um, they're in a, in a um, working class um, neighborhood. Um, they're central, but there are also uh, very right-wing politics around them and within the neighborhood. Um, and also the spaces by the Hexen, which is like the German central uh, collective for hack uh, feminists. Um, they only had temporary spaces within like the um, within events and uh, just trying to like build temporary spaces for their own. Um, so within that localization, they were very in between, but mm. also in between um, societal um, conceptions because uh, they noticed that technology was predominantly male, predominantly cis male dominated and white. And they were trying to um, make technology more accessible for a broader public or to just, um, just educate on tech literacy. Um, so that was also sort of like a societal in-between, between their own space where they were already living these societal ideals that they think should be implemented into tech, but also space itself, like urban public space, um, and the uh, sort of outside, uh, which is also a problematic term, I guess, but for that matter. Um, so they found themselves in a very... Um, in-between situation as well and also trying to be open to you know a more broader public uh, beyond Flinta and trying to have events that address more than Flinta and um, but still trying to create these safer spaces which is always an ongoing negotiation of exclusion not exclusion uh, who do you invite uh, who do you not invite who do you include who is uh, who's feeling welcomed or not um, so that was like a in between space thing that I noticed. And then there's like the interspace that you mentioned, which I kind of uh, created as a term for my own because I think there's still not an everyday use of uh, the yeah interconnection of um, digitality and the analog, which I think is intertwined all the time. Like you said, it's fuzzy. Um, there are no borders there anymore. Um, it's what, I don't know, Nathan Jurgison, Jurgison, I'm sorry, let me say that again. It's what Nathan Jurgison calls like digital dualism, that people are just constantly trying to keep up the difference between the analog and the digital um, and still talking about real life, even though, I mean, everything is real life. Also, what you do online is re as real as what you do on the streets. Mm. Um, what you do on the screen is as real as what you do um, in, in public space. Um, so I thought the interspace, this in-betweenness, this um, constant interconnection between these spheres um, is maybe more of like an everyday use that we can also use. Uh, it's more of an everyday term that we can also use for city space, uh, thinking what the digit uh, digital does to the material, how this is connected with each other on so many dimensions. And um, yeah, that's why I kind of wanted to conceptualize a term um, that kind of that. reflected also the concept that you were talking about um, by 
Dutch and Kitchen, but also Zouk and Graham, and just kind of think this a little further mm. for the contemporary urban space. Um, so in your work also, you uh, talked about glitching culture, and in general, the uh, term you came with inter-space, and uh, the concept behind that, I think, is also... Um, it sounds to be based on a tra trajectory of um, related feminist work um, on binary and how the binary concept of the world affecting space and how to contest this kind of concept. And um, as I said, I, I saw your talk about glitching culture and uh, glitching space. I just wanted to to know to how you relate yourself to um, this uh, trajectory of uh, thought like glitching feminism of um, um, legacy Russell. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, my work is deeply rooted within her uh, glitch feminism manifesto because I was reading it right before I was starting to write my thesis and it just influenced the way that I looked at the whole uh, topic and um, also what I came upon within her work was a lot of in-betweenness, a lot of these topics that I was just uh, referring to. So there were two things that really stuck out to me. That was first that she was talking about architectures a lot. Mm. Um, she was using that term specifically, which um, resonated with me as an urban scholar at like the intersection of urban cultural studies, but also um, urban design, which has to do a lot with architectures um, and a lot of social architectures. But what she brought into the conversation specifically for me was the algorithmic architectures to think of algorithms as architectures as like pre-programmed um, ways to navigate through um, through the digital which architectures in the materialized spaces of of the city for example are also doing they're they're helping us navigate orientate and everything and she was also talking about that on the podcast uh tech won't save us um uh, big shout out to both of those because i'm a huge fan um and this was super interesting and she was also talking about n architectures which i think or understand as resistive architectures, like the hack feminist collectives, with which built their own infrastructures uh, of tech, of care, of uh, being together, of also imaginaries and 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 future narrators. Um, and those, I think, at the moment are still architectures that do not. Um, they're not on the same page as the smart city agendas and uh, political agendas that are really um, collaborating with, uh, with uh, tech firms which um, privatize urban public spaces, which are patented, um, which do not seem to be open for discussion of a public or you know, a broader uh, conversation within you know, city collectives in general. Um, so that term really, really resonated with me. And uh, she's really, um, yeah, calling to build an architectures. And this is where the glitch comes into play because uh, she's specifically uh, saying that the glitch is sort of like a gateway to um, revolutionize the system, um, to be bold. And um, 
that's where I kind of thought, okay, um, these glitches that are definitely within every technological system, it's an error that you can't uh, predict because it's always within a technology. Like every technology has some functionalities that don't um, work the way they're supposed to, uh, which is the glitch uh, at the end of the day. Um, and these glitches, I thought, uh, also with the works of um, Mackenzie Wark, for example, um, were the gateway for the hack for me because I was like, okay, when, when there's a glitch, when there's an entryway sort of, where we see that systems do not function the, the way that they're, they're programmed or coded, um, this is the possibility to like, slide in and um, be resistant and to refuse these systems and to not be legible, as, Rus uh, as Russell puts it, too. Um, and she's also bringing in this very bodily dimension of, of queer bodies, of... Um, um, black bodies, for example, who are very, um, no, let me say that again. Um, I need to think about that for a second. Um, illegible is if you can't read it, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay, and uh, Lexi Russell is bringing in this very bodily dimension of the glitch um, of illegible bodies, queer bodies, also black bodies that are um, dominantly affected by discrimination through facial recognition, for example, especially women of color, um, especially especially queer women of color or um, gender uh, non-binary identifying persons. Um, and uh, who fall through any classification that computational systems are trying um, to, to put upon them in a way. Um, and this is a very interesting um, and very productive way, I think, of, of, of also connecting it to hack feminism, because what I saw within Ms. Balthazar's laboratory in Vienna, for example, they're really playing with um, bodily representation. Um, they were um, drawing against um, gender binary ideologies, against right-wing ideologies, nationalist ideologies, through just making visible bodies that um, apparently, according to these um, ideologies, do not fit within their standards and stuff like that, but who nevertheless um, are a very important part of urban life and city life and of um, a spectrum of gender identities that needs to be represented, that needs to find representation within the um, urban space as well. And what they did, for example, they do have um, sort of like a gallery within their space. Um, so they use their showcase to really um, promote alternative um, and um, very diverse visualizations of a gender spectrum um, to just give them some representation and to say, we're here um, and you can't just, you know, excode us out of the urban, as Joy Bulamwini, uh, for example, puts it in her work. Hmm. I saw, I think, one of the videos on uh, Vino. Um, it was quite interesting. But 
Um, there was something in it that you also um, you also mentioned that in your own uh, presentation one time, and um, I still sense a kind of uh, very good, very positive power of doing uh, such collectives. But as you also uh, um, brought it up, uh, still was most of them, at least the videos I was seeing, and also my own experience of um, doing or trying to be a member of some of this collective in Hamburg, it is still uh, predominantly whites. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. And did they themselves reflect it on that or what, what would you what is your reflection on yeah so I think this is also a lack of my work because obviously I'm a, I'm a white woman um, I have limited experiences with discrimination and I'm not intersectionally discriminated uh, or anything and I cannot stand for these perspectives but I can stand by these perspectives and behind these perspectives which I think is very important um, and as I said, there's like not one answer. It's really a, a very difficult uh, thing to negotiate. Also, because I think they're very, um, they have a very educational background. A lot of them meet at university, which is also like a, a barrier. It's not super accessible for some, I think. Um, and also the knowledge hierarchy between people who you know, know a lot about tech and who know how to program and who are really into these discourses and um, really identify with these is obviously very high within these spaces. Um, but what they do really well, I think, uh, from what I could observe and what I could see and also what I experienced within these spaces some uh, sometime was um, that do they keep on trying to say, we're open, you can come here as a total newbie, which is like a total beginner mm. with with no knowledge at all. Um, we're a knowledge community, so we're trying to share this knowledge um, in a sense of like an urban common to share knowledge, share resources, share uh, also hardware and all the things that you need to actually access the digitality or access knowledge about the, uh, the digital. Um, and I'm doing a programming course myself right now at one of these spaces. And I have to say they do a really, really good job because I have no idea about how to program. I, my tech knowledge is very limited to what I know within social discourses and within the discourses that I, um, I'm rooted within, but not from a very technological perspective. I'm, I'm going to be open about that, mm. um, which I think is also a lack of the work that we do because, yes, we know how to analyze stuff. We know how to interpret um, uh, things and we can put them in a specific context, but I still think it's important to also have a broad idea of how the technology really works. How does programming work? How is how a programming language languages uh, yeah working as well? Um, so I'm trying to get into this a little bit further, and I'm doing this uh, within one of these hex spaces. And uh, the instructor is doing a tremendous job to be really, really low key and start at the bottom of everything. And I do admire that. I think actually academia could learn a lot from that. I myself have difficulties to translate all the theoretical stuff that I do to a more everyday um, understanding of, uh, you know, what I conceptualize. So I think that's 
that's honorable in a way, um, but I still think that's an issue, um, these spaces being predominantly white. Um, and But I do think they're working on it. So there, yeah, there's hope and there's a constant negotiation and discussion about it. So um, let's hope that this changes soon. Yeah, and um, great point about uh, uh, that how they are reaching out and how, how they are teaching. Um, I think I should also um, being more in contact with them and learn a lot. <laughs> um, I think my last question is about governance um, and the affair between uh, these collectives and, for example, municipality. Um, for example, in Berlin, smart city strategy, which they are now working on that, uh, there is an alliance like Bundes, Bundes uh, mm -hmm. like um, uh, alliance which I think is quite a uh, very new, good uh, approach they are doing. Uh, so basically civil organizations, universities, and public uh, institutions are all part of this uh, alliance to um, monitor the way this strategy is being written. Uh, of course, there is a lot of fight already inside of that. Some. Uh, organizations already left this alliance, uh, but I want to know if these collectives uh, try to approach these uh, organizations, try to position themselves in um, in working with municipality or you know raising raising their voice in a way that uh, also translated in municipality level. Um, yeah, yeah, this is definitely a question I also asked them. Um, I have to say that some of them were just at the start of forming their collectives and not very uh, institutionalized yet uh, in, in that sense that uh, they had their own spaces and infrastructures built up and everything. And it was also, as I said, during the pandemic where everything was kind of like up in the air and they were trying to stay in touch with each other first before, you know, reaching out. Um, um, but... Yes, they have been various uh, points where they were communicating with municipalities in various ways. Um, I think one of the examples or, or one thing in general is funding. Um, since they're you know, open spaces that are trying to constantly get funding um, because they're not getting paid for the work that they do. Um, they're all volunteers there. Um, and they at least try to get uh, like uh, public uh, city fundings for their spaces to pay rent, for example. Um, that that has been a thing that most of them were trying to do. So that is like one point where they got in touch with the city um, as of like a general administrative uh, perspective. Um, but then also um, within the work that they did, especially um, Facolone, um, who were who were working in Cologne, um, they were, I think, from the understanding that I got, was they were trying during the pandemic to reach out to the city and say, we have um, an open source server, we have um, a big blue button server that they set up, um, and they were also uh, trying to give access to like groups nearby, to um, educational institutions like schools, 
who were still struggling what they what software they should use and um, if Zoom is the best alternative because we know Zoom is a big uh, tech cooperative also um, and uh, they just built up that alternative infrastructure but from my, what I got from the interviews um, I might be wrong how this turned out um, ultimately but there was no interest from the city to you know, pick it up and say, okay, we're going to um, think through that together and we're going to try to, I don't know, maybe you could consult us on these issues and we could, you know, start a conversation about open source tech and how to use it and how to be more publicly accessible for everybody uh, without giving away your data and your privacy and all of that. Um, from what I got from the interviews, this was very frustrating most of the time. Um However, I think, um, especially from like an educational institution perspective, a lot of things have changed over the past year since I uh, conducted my research. So this might have, you know, changed. This was, this was just like within that moment um, that I conducted the research. But there have been difficulties to, uh, to start a conversation together. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's both from sort of maybe also like an invisibility of these hex spaces to um, urban govern governmental uh, structures. But they're also doing a lot of public talks and they're present at a lot of events uh, that are specifically concerned with technology and with tech regulation and all these matters. So I think this is like a bad excuse basically yeah. um no, i do think they have to approach each other a lot more um and i do see uh the city as well as also urban planners as well as urban scholars like myself uh in the responsibility to um yeah start a conversation and to be open and to see that uh, those hack feminist collectives are very important actors and they can still say they're not interested in that and that would be totally okay if they want to concentrate on their collective work and everything that's a lot of work within itself it's a lot of maintenance it's a lot of repair it's a lot of energy that goes into and it's predominantly made by Flinta who have a lot of care responsibilities in their everyday lives um, and I that's also a thing that I had to think about a lot during my work it's it's um, it's ask a lot to just yeah, ask for an interview and, you know, I want to be careful with the time of my interview partners and acknowledge their mm. responsibilities without, uh, because I don't have a budget for my work. So um, yes. that's an issue also within academia. Yeah. So I do see the, the, the city being responsible to, to start this conversation and to look what they can learn from these collectives, because I think that's a lot. They can learn a lot. For sure, for sure. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, it was very interesting, and I hope everybody also that are listening uh, also, like me, uh, being drawn by uh, very nice insights and your ethnography works that you've done with them. And I hope also this episode give a very small, <laughs> tiny uh, visibility of what they have done. Um, I'm trying uh, in the uh, for the description of this episode. I'm trying to write down the uh, some of the uh, collectives you worked mm -hmm. um, on. 
Um, also, you are writing uh, your paper. Uh, um, you have a paper under publication, uh, which the name is We Build This City on Rocks and Feminist Code, Hacking Corporate Computation Design of Cities to Come. So I would like just to say to the uh, people who are listening uh, to this uh, episode that uh, if you register yourself uh, in the newsletter of this uh, podcast, as soon as this paper come out, we're going to inform you. Um, and um, good luck with, uh, with further work on this subject. I know that was your master thesis, but I know you're still working on that. Um, and I'm happy to see uh, more work on this subject in other places and other presentations and also in other podcasts. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, thank you so much. And also I would like to um, thank uh, Ben for producing, for providing the infrastructure and uh, Martin for recording, editing and helping us today. Um, yeah. Uh, I would like also Miley to, uh, if you have some words. Uh. Yeah, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it being here. Um, and yeah, um, as we dedicate this episode to, uh, to the Iranian women um, and Flinta out there protesting, um, I think the subject also touches on all the Flinta movements that we've seen in the past years. Um, so be aware of that, acknowledge these, spread the word, um, and give them the visibility and the representation that we've been talking about in the digital but also in the analog spaces yeah. Yeah. thank you so much <laughs> Oh, yeah.